the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is too weak a word. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. It's back in Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today I have joining me Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. So, Kristen, last week uh, we had asked uh, for our listeners to leave us a review on iTunes for the podcast, and if a review was left, we would read it out loud. Unfortunately, though, maybe my directions were a little bit confusing uh, because I still was looking for a way to try and get in touch with the people that wrote the review so that I could give them their prize. Uh, The review that was written basically is from pauser meow five stars awesome and it says i just listened to your fantastic beast podcast and i too considered harry potter and his deathly hollows part two to be the best one well you know what that's great because i do too <laughs> I, I love deathly hollows part two that's probably my favorite harry potter film uh Kristen, i don't think you were on the show with us when we no. did that one uh, out of curiosity, which uh, Harry Potter film is your favorite? The one with the wizards. Um, no, I. They're all interchangeable at this point. I haven't watched a Harry Potter movie since the last one came out. Oh my god! Really? Yeah. Wow. And I mean, the franchise is fine. I just it, it has no replay value for me as a nearly thirty-year-old woman. <laughs> <laughs> I it's remember. Okay. I remember liking the one Quaron did the most. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that was uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, that was the one I remember really enjoying because they wore modern clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a very good point. They did wear modern clothes in that film. Um, this uh, yesterday, uh, as of this recording, was St. Patrick's Day, and in the uh, spirit of this um you know holiday that's uh turned into basically drinking fest for most people uh i thought it would be really cool to also ask you on the show here what is your favorite quote-unquote irish film it's a very vague term and you can interpret that however you want (laughs) but i know for me the movie that always just seems to like pop up off the top of my head now is best picture winner uh the departed Oh, that would be a good one. Um, there's so many ways to take that. You could do movies about Ireland or movies starring Irish people, um, which would probably be where my mind would immediately go. Um, oh, dear God. This is tough. I, I mean, ordinarily, I should say The Quiet Man. Cause I'm a oh, classic my God, girl, yeah. But I just saw that for the first time, finally, and I thought it was fine. I didn't really love it. I'm not a big John Wayne fan. Oh, so I'm just going to go with a Fassbender movie because he is Irish and just say Fish Tank. <laughs> oh, I mean, Hunger is also a really good choice, too. Oh, my too. God, no. Okay, I want to be happy at the end of the movie, not depressed. <laughs> I'm ready to open a vein. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear you on that one. Um, Brooklyn, 
Got to give a shout out to that. I loved that movie. Um, what about uh, Daniel Day Lewis and his Jim Sheridan films in the name of the father? And uh, I have not seen those. <laughs> my, you haven't seen My Left Foot? No, I've I have reasons for not seeing that. Okay, okay, well that's fair, and I understand. But I mean, his performance in that is just unbelievable. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is unbelievable in general. Speaking of which, uh, Gangs of New York also oh, that's a good I, one. I guess that's would qualify. One. Yeah. So there's a couple of films out there for sure that deal with the Irish. Uh, I'm sure somebody right now is listening and going, you forgot to say Boondock Saints, man. You forgot to say Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a poll right now on the uh, on the website, nextbestpicture.com, asking everybody what is their favorite quote-unquote Irish film. So be sure to check that one out and send us in your votes. We would really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's also talk about, since we're doing some participation here, we're asking some questions. Uh, we have a fan question here from uh, Matt St. Clair, and he's asking, who was the most overrated director working today? Oh. <laughs> oh, I knew you would have fun with this one. <laughs> um, give me your answer first, and then I will... Oh, my answer is very easy. It's Terrence Malick. You know, I was gonna say that, and I think we might have the same the same answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody else because you know it's it's difficult when you consider someone's like body of work. Um, is it like somebody that's really, really highly praised, and yet not one of their works speak to you that you can lump them into this category? You know what I mean? Or maybe there's one film that they've done that maybe you particularly like, but the rest you don't. And yet the rest of the world seems to like them. Um, I don't know. Like Malik, Malik would be, I think, the the obvious choice. Um, I'm trying yeah. to think of directors that are still working somewhat regularly, which a lot of the ones on uh, Google. I would say that. Oh, with- oh I got one. Uh, when I got one whenever you're ready. Oh, go on. Um, and remember, this is a personal uh, choice. This is also asking, you know, like I said, overrated, right? So in my mind, as soon as I hear that, I think, okay, who's got like a lot of critical acclaim, maybe some Oscar nominations, and I've just been like, what the hell, you know? Alexander Payne for me. Oh, okay. As a writer, I think his films are really well written. But as a director, I don't see what he does that is so spectacular that makes everybody love him so much. I think his characters are well written. I think they're always well acted by the people he casts in his movies. And maybe maybe that's where it is. You know, 80% of a director's job is casting most of the time. Uh, I don't really know. It's just like... As a director, in terms of what he does with the camera and how he shoots his films, he doesn't seem to have, like, a style to me. It doesn't seem to ever do anything special. But yet the guy gets Oscar nominations left and right all the time. I I just don't understand it. Uh, I have an answer. I was going to say Ridley Scott, just because at this point, Ridley Scott is not the Ridley Scott that we used to know. Um, but I think or is he? And the studio system has just changed. That's over time. true. That's true. The director that I would say, especially due to recent events, James Cameron. Oh no, no, I can't say that. I, I, I and I, I say that as somebody who loves the one-two punch of like True Lies and Titanic. But at this point, t- Avatar is not a good movie. I don't care who tries to give me the half-assed explanation that it's a good movie. 
I've seen Fern Gully, I've seen Pocahontas, I know what hybrid bastardization it is, okay? So, at this point, with this talk about, you know, Avatar 2 not coming out until James Cameron's dead and buried, um, it just makes me think, you know, James Cameron's got movies at this point, he hasn't made anything in the last how many years since Avatar 09, which was 09? Yep. We're coming up on on almost 10 years since, and it's just, I mean, Terrence Malick is putting out more movies at this point than Ridley Scott is, and he's got all his eggs in this Avatar basket, which the backlash against that movie is pretty, you know, well-established at this point. Nobody's really, I think, chomping at the bit, so I have to have to say that I'm starting to think it's, it's overrated because there's really nothing to... His hits are in the past. They're so far in the past to most people because I know the people that don't love Avatar would say that James Cameron hasn't had a hit since 1997. Well, you know who then I would lump into that category if we're talking about like their their best days or behind them. Um, does Brian De Palma count? Oh, I would say no because he hasn't made a big studio film. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah. If we're going off of people who just have not made any anything of note. Or you know what? Um, I, I got I got one then because you're right. He hasn't made anything really of note. Um, Oliver Stone. Ooh, that would be a good one. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I JFK is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yes, I know that it's not you know 100. percent It's essentially just a big conspiracy theory film. But yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time I said an Oliver Stone film was good. Um, I mean. It's it's Jesus. been a while. I'm trying to think of Oliver Stone films that are that have come out that are new. Nope. I just keep thinking of bad ones. Yeah, I mean, even the ones I look back and I say to myself, uh, uh, "W? Did I like W? No, I I walked out on W actually." Oh, my my friends still don't talk. We don't talk about that movie because I made them go see that. I made them go see Wall Street too. Um, oh, yeah. The Josh Brolin love was was tough to deal with back in the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I, then you have like uh, the like World Trade Center before that, which is not good. Oh no, I thought that one was okay. Uh, not not bad. I thought it was like somewhere in the middle. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, no. I would say I would say Oliver Stone is a is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, hopefully, uh, we definitely answered uh, your question well there, uh, Matt St. Clair. Thank you for the questions, as always. Uh, let's tackle some news this week. Uh, apparently, Suburbicon, uh, which is directed by George Clooney, uh, produced by him and Grant Haslov. Uh, written by well, the Coens. Written by the Coens and George Clooney and Grant Haslov, which is, like, insane. Who, who's in this one? Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Josh Oscar Brolin. Isaac. I was getting to him. Yeah, I was uh-huh. going to say you're a hubby. Uh, I, apparently, from what I've heard, this is George Clooney's best film since Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah, there was a, a, somebody had gone to a test screening of it, and I think they said that they had seen four movies. And I'm not going to cite the source because I hate the person who wrote this, so you can Google it and find who, who actually said this, but... Um, I think that the person who saw it said they saw The Glass Castle, Tully, and um, what is the Trey Edward Schultz movie that you were excited it for? It Comes at Night. And, and they had seen all of those alongside this and that this was the best one that they had seen that week. Um, so that's telling you a lot, too. 
But yeah. they said that, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, Clooney's best directorial output, that they had a lot of fun with it, that it was uh, a really well done movie, and I am just, y'all have no idea how excited, this movie is like tailor-made for me. They did say though, Josh Brolin is credited in the IMDb, but they said he was not in the film. So That's it's weird. It's unknown if uh, they pulled uh, Scott Eastwood and just cut him out of, much like Scott Eastwood was cut out of They uh, uh, Live By Night, if they essentially just kind of Christian Bale, Terrence malick him out of the movie. Um, <laughs> which I've read the script for Suburbicon. Mind you, it was the initial script that the Coens wrote, I think, in the night. It was a draft they had done in the 90s. Because they've been trying to make this for like 20 years, I think. This is, this is their silence, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the script that I read, which was modern day, it's not modern day in Clooney's take. He's setting it in the 50s. Um was a very droll, not particularly well-written script, at least in terms of what I was seeing. Um, I'm assuming that they've refined it significantly, although somebody did say, and I'm assuming that they translated it verbatim because the scene with Oscar Isaac that's in the script would really lend itself to the 50s. It plays really poorly in a modern day, but um, in the the test screening that the person was uh, was talking about, they said his scene was um, on par with Edward G. Robinson in Double Indemnity. And I was just like, holy God, that sounds fantastic. Um, I'm excited. I'm so excited. You have no idea. Oh, yeah, no. It should definitely be uh, some fun, hopefully. Uh, could be an Oscar player. Maybe not. I mean... I have a feeling that George Clooney is definitely going to be back uh, in a director's capacity, not so much uh, an actor capacity, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens. Either way, you know it'll make me happy, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm a soft touch. Yeah, it'll make you as happy as Beauty and the Beast, I'm sure, made Michael happy this weekend, so. Me and Michael are going to have words. Stephen Daldry, uh, somebody who, ah, you know... I like Stephen Daldry, I, I but but I really hate when his films take away other people's Oscar nominations. If that makes sense, I could see that. Yeah, like extremely loud, incredibly close, getting in for Best Picture for Ooh, some weird talk, reason. You know, I I might say that he might be overrated. Oh. Uh, what was the other big one? Oh, the Reader, obviously taking the slot away from The Dark Knight. You know, so. He's got a new film coming out here. Um, it's a, an Olympic swimmer uh, film that is about teenage Syrian refugee. Um, and, a two, and she was like a 2016 Olympic swimmer, uh, Yurza Martini. Um, so based on a true story. And I mean, it, it, there's no actress or screenwriter yet attached to it. But apparently Daldry is attached to the material itself, though. But, I mean, I, I was thinking about this one a little bit and saying to myself, have there really been any good, like, swimming movies? Uh, that aren't Esther Williams movies from the 50s? And not, like, Jaws or something like that. I'm talking, like, a movie that deals with, like, the, sp like the sport of swimming more the so than anything. sport of swimming? No. I was going to say the only swimming movies that I know, again, are the, the Esther Williams aquatic feature films from the 50s which are very enjoyable <laughs> see like i i could imagine um a swimming movie like being exciting if it was like shot by like danny boyle and anthony don mantle i feel like there could be like some really creative cinematography you could do you know with um with with swimmers in a, in a swimming pool 
in all honesty. I am all for if we find the next Esther Williams and want to make swimming a thing again, I'm all for it. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, Hillary Swank, Michael Shannon, uh, they're both set to star in a drama called What They Had. Uh, Robert Forrester, Blythe Danner, and Thaisa Farmiga are also going to be starring in it as well. Uh, the story centers around a woman played by Hilary Swank who must fly back to her hometown when her Alzheimer's-stricken mother, played by Danner, wanders into a blizzard. The return home forces her to confront her past. And this is being uh, directed uh, by, who is this? Uh, Elizabeth Chomko. Oh. It's a it's a writer it's a writer director uh, woman so that should be fun. Hopefully we get something out of this. <laughs> hey 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 listen it's a ra- it's a rare breed to have uh, women directors in Hollywood getting a big cast together like That's this true. is it not? That's true. Uh, well I mean we don't know if it's a big cast. I mean Michael Shannon I think does as many projects that have big budgets as small budgets. That's true. I feel like his profile has really raised out in recent years. Yeah, and I mean, it. it's great to see Hilary Swank get more attention. I think that since the Oscar wins, uh, you know, her Oh cash- my God, I feel like those are her only two movies in her entire filmography. I feel for like the most part, I mean, that's that's the weirdest thing. She, she was recognized for those movies and then her career really petered out in terms of just kind of being placed in formulaic, questionable films where you're like, why did they get somebody of her caliber? I almost hate to say it, but I think the Hollywood machine of she's not a hot girl, she's not the type to be able to transition, It's it almost feels like Hollywood has no concept of what to do with her. And it's very sad. Yeah, I, I could see that. I really could. I honestly just don't think she's that great. I think she's fine. I think that the hesitation is is that, you know, she had played in those two movies playing very masculine type of character, non-feminine type of characters. And I think that stigma just, I think it sticks. And they tried very hard to put her in roles. I mean, just look at how her appearance changed, I think, after she uh, after Million Dollar Baby. She was playing in movies where she was very made up, very yeah. feminine. And I think that they tried to test the waters of you know whether people would want to fuck her essentially it's a very sad you know there's an essay to be written about hillary swank's career because i think boys don't cry is great um it's a really difficult movie to watch that has aged sadly a little too well in our day and age um and million dollar baby i have severe problems with um i hate that movie but yeah her career is an interesting outlier which film uh, would you have preferred had won Best Picture that year over a million What were the baby? nominees offhand? Uh, okay, offhand, Ray, Sideways, The Aviator, and I want to say it was uh, Finding Neverland. Oh, I've only seen, I've, I have not seen the first two. So I would probably have gone The Aviator. Yeah, I remember The Aviator was coming strong that year because it had won the BAFTA, it had won the PGA. And The Aviator, I I hate to say, I mean, of, of course, I'm the classic film girl, but I love The Aviator for what it gets right as much as what it gets wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I, I It's amazing, like, when I watch uh, a film like The Aviator and you just see, like, how much, in terms of, like, its editing and its pacing, like, how many setups, how many scenes... 
how much is just going on in that movie? And I guess that's just a testament to Martin Scorsese as a, as a director that he gets all this together and he it, it just it really blows my mind. Martin Scorsese is a fucking national tre- treasure. That's basically what I'm trying to say here. Um, moving over though to a director who should be a national treasure, but he's only made two films right now. Do you know uh, Andrew Dominic? Yeah. Good. Well, Andrew Dominic is teaming up with Tom Hardy. Uh, for a Netflix movie called uh, War Party. And it's a true story uh, about a Navy SEAL. Uh, And as far as the details are concerned, it's being described as an adventure project and it's based on true events centering on the real-life Navy SEALs. And there are some life rights involved, but there's no other details other than that at this time. And so far, all we know is that Tom Hardy is uh, one of the names attached. So I'm a big fan of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I really think that that is such an artistically well-made film. And I think it's criminally underrated. Killing them softly, um, I, I admire it, but I don't like it. Does that make sense? I was going to say I'm coming – I come to Andrew Dominic's career – from a very weird place because I I own the assassination of Jesse James. I have never seen it. Oh, really? Um, but I've seen Killing Them Softly and I hated it. Yeah. And so I and he's been talking about doing Blonde with the Marilyn Monroe movie for years with Jessica Chastain and now I guess she's out. So I'm eager to see what else he can do. Uh, I need to go back and watch jesse james because i keep saying i'm going to and i just i need to make the time for it but his career is kind of like a, a non-starter for me so far but anything with tom hardy is automatically interesting so and netflix and netflix keeps surprising me with some of these acquisitions that they're making right uh, before i get over to netflix i just want to say really quickly that i apologize for anyone that was listening Andrew Dominic has made three films. I forgot about his debut film, uh, Chopper, which features uh, the best performance of Eric Bauna's uh, career, in my opinion. Oh, Hulk Hulk doesn't count. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Hulk doesn't count. Neither does uh, Funny People and a couple other Eric Bauna films I could probably think of. But uh, talking about Netflix really quickly here, uh, because you just brought that up. I am not a fan of how they are tackling the theatrical uh, feature film uh, market right now. I really don't think it's a wise idea for them to have the movie streaming and then just do a qualifying run in New York and L.A. I, I don't know why they do do that. I really don't. I think the way like Amazon handled stuff uh, in their films and obviously with the success of something like Manchester by the Sea last year, I just don't see why Netflix can't do the same thing. Because what frightens me a little bit is if they keep doing this model and a film does get Oscar recognition in the main categories outside of the documentary uh, categories and it ultimately ends up becoming a success, is that going to kill ultimately how we watch movies? You know, is it going to be just like it'll be a huge sign? You know what I mean? Well, I was going to say, how is it any different from what OJ Made in America did? in reverse, essentially screening it to get the Oscar qualifying and then putting it on TV. 
Uh, that's a good point. But then again, I also I also had problems with OJ's success last uh, year. Th- exactly. My argument was is that it didn't deserve best documentary at the Oscars because it's a TV. It, it, essentially, ninety eight percent of audiences saw it on television. You know, oh, nobody yeah. was going out to see it at a theater, um, except the you know one or two percent that are Academy you know voters. So. Um, for me, well, it, this comes along, there was a discussion, I forget what site wrote the article about romanticizing the theater experience and how people are freaking out over Netflix and other options taking away the theater experience from people. And honestly, you know, it's a matter of time. They've been talking about the theater experience going away since I can remember when Disney first started saying that they wanted to release DVDs day and date with the um, theater screening, or how you could go buy a ticket to the theater and then essentially turn it in for the, the DVD or the video the same day. So there's always been ways that they've talked about, uh, what is it now they're doing, the one where you pay, they, they want to pass the thing where you pay 50 bucks and you can see a movie essentially opening day at home on an yep. app. Um, so it's a matter of time before the theater and and I mean I don't think the theater experience is going to go away for the people who like you and I who want to make our first showing at the theater but for me I think it's a distinction based on geography too because you have access to more independent niche stuff that either doesn't come to my town or is far away so my argument always is is that I love the VOD market because I can get stuff that I wouldn't ordinarily get right away. I'm one of those. I want instant gratification. Um, I hate having to wait. So, I mean, I go to the theater, but if something's VOD and I don't want to pay to go full boat to go see it in a theater, stuff that looks like crap to begin with, I'm all for paying, you know, six bucks as opposed to paying 12 um, and having to deal with people. Um, so I, I don't think the theater experience is going away it's, and I don't think Netflix is going to be the one to do it, but I think it is a matter of time before people will have the, dis, like the option of, okay, this new movie's out. Do I want to make my first time go in the theater or not? The other thing that always, I think ruins the theater experience more than anything nowadays is what the theaters themselves are doing, which is, um, removing masking technologies from their theaters. Everything looks like it's letterboxed in a theater which part of the reason I go to the movie theater is to have that big, you know, 25, 30 foot screen and I can see a movie full frame. Um, And most theaters now, especially since everything's converted to digital, it just looks like I'm watching a DVD on a bigger television screen. Oh, yeah. No, I I, listen. I definitely agree with everything it is that you're saying here. Um, it does bring uh, one point to my mind now. Um, you know, you mentioned before how I get some like smaller niche films in my area, being as how I am uh, not in New York City, but close enough to New York City where I can venture out and go see some films. I recently uh, caught Personal Shopper with Kristen Stewart and a movie also that I think you would get a kick out of Kristen called Raw. Yeah, both of which I want to see, both of which are not here at all. Yeah, I don't know when they're expanding. I think Personal Shopper may be expanding in another week. Same thing with Raw, potentially. But I highly doubt they'll go you know, tremendously far in terms of expansion. Um, Personal Shopper is a very... very uh, it's a very deep film. It's a very thoughtful film, but it's not like quote-unquote exciting really 
there is one sequence in the movie that's like a film within a film almost. And that part of the movie is absolutely riveting in terms of its suspense. Uh, Oliver uh, Asayas or Asayas, I, I don't know it's how to a, say it's his Asayas. name. It is Asayas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm kind of hit or miss on his films. I really like Clouds of Sils Maria. I really like Carlos. Carlos is still the high point for me. Yeah. Carlos was uh, my introduction to him, actually. Um, and what else did he do besides that? Did he do Sin Nombre? I think so, that? yeah. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. It, it, it wasn't um, Sin Nombre. He did uh, Summer Hours. It was. Oh, okay. Julian Pinoche. Uh, but anyways, um, movie is good. I, I, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was amazing. But um, I know some people are definitely not going to like it at all. So we'll, we'll see. Raw, on the other hand, though, was a freaking awesome, awesome French film. Oh, my God. This is like, to me... Remember when like Dogtooth came out and everybody was like, oh, Dogtooth is way too weird, way too fucked up to get an Oscar nomination and yet it somehow managed to get one? I would be ecstatic if Raw could last a whole year to get an Oscar nomination. <laughs> I thought it was that aw- I thought it was that good. I really did. Did it did it cause you to faint? No, no, not at all. I mean the there it is it is a little gross at times, but nothing uh too too insane i think it's more of like the idea that is gross more so than what you actually see in the movie um this is like one of those films where i could see somebody like quentin tarantino being like you know what guys that is my favorite film of the year it, it amazing like i could just see him just going like totally ape shit there's something like this um and you know like when they release it and it has like the teasers with the quotes from people it's like quentin tarantino and it just says something like the, the, the bloodiest, most erotic film you'll see all year, or whatever it may be, <laughs> you know? Um, I highly, highly urge you to check it out if it does come to your area. Um, and that goes out to all my listeners, uh, or our listeners out there right now. If you guys uh, get a chance to catch Raw, do so. It is a totally fun, 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 wild ride. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Moving over again to the news. Uh, here's somebody that has not got an Oscar nomination, who I'm still waiting for him to get his first nomination. Mark Strong. Uh, Mark Strong is set to play... Uh, uh, who is this guy? Um, Warner Heisenberg, uh, the enigmatic lead scientist for the Nazi atomic program who would become the main target in the U.S.'s effort infiltrating the Nazi party to determine whether they were capable of building an atomic bomb. Uh, ben Lewis is directing with a script by Robert Rodat. Uh, what else do we have here with this one? Paul Rudd is also set to uh, star in the film as well. Well, that and, sounds interesting. Yeah, and the movie's called Catcher Was a Spy. 
So... You know, it sounds like a very Mark Strong movie. <laughs> Wait a minute, though. Listen to this. Uh, other people also attached to this. You ready? Guy Pierce, Jeff Daniels, Sienna Miller, Paul Giamatti, and Giancarlo uh, Gianni. Hmm. Interesting. Or, or not Gianni, Giannini, I think it is, actually. But yeah, I mean, this is a, this looks like it's a pretty big one here, so... I just want to see Mark Strong one day just nail a nomination because I think he's a really, really fantastic character actor. So, and the last bit here, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is set to star in How to Stop Time from Studio Canal and Sunny March. Uh, it's an adaptation of Matt Haig's forthcoming novel uh, whose film rights have been acquired by Cumberbatch's production company. Uh, so he's going to be the executive producer on the film. And it tells the story of Tom Hazard, uh, a man who may look like an ordinary 41-year-old, but owing to an extremely rare occasion, has been alive for centuries. So it's Dracula meets Benjamin Button. Sounds like it. Possibly. I mean, I don't think there's going to be any real like aging effects probably on ben, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, the same way there was on Brad Pitt, but... Yeah, that sounds a good way to. I don't get the Cumberbatch thing. I really don't. Now, is it because he's just not your type, Kristen? Like, what? No, no. That's part of it. That's part of it. I I don't get. I don't get. He's very talented. See, I don't. Have we proven that? I I think we have. I thought he was amazing in the imitation game. Oh, he's fine. Really? That movie? Yeah, I, I. a, I thought that movie was not good, um, and B, he was just—it's a—he's a very English actor, and I, you know, his formalism—he seems to play the same role every time. It's just different circumstances. I mean, I give him all the credit in the world for uh, doing a uh, American Southern accent in Twelve Years a Slave, considering that he has um, one. A very British-sounding accent that, too, also has the potential to be the deepest voice you've ever heard in your life. I think that <laughs> that goodwill, though, for 12 Years a Slave is undermined by his southern horrificness in August Osage County. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. Damn it. So, I yeah, I think, they cancel those, they think they cancel each other out. Well, you know what? Have you ever watched uh, Sherlock with Martin Freeman? I have. I have, yeah. You, you got to admit he's good in that, right? Yeah. Really? I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh, Kristen. I'm sorry. I don't get it. Sticking with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch here for a moment. Uh, his film, The Current War, uh, along with Wind River and Mary Magdalene, have all gotten their 2017 release dates from the Until Weinstein Until the company. Weinstein Company decides to move them again. Yep. So get ready for this. You ready? Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon film, The Current War. Guess when this is coming out? December. December 22nd. Yep, that coveted Christmas weekend that nobody's going to be like, hey, family, let's gather up a movie to go see a movie about electricity. <laughs> yeah, and now we can cross off one film that's not going to win Best Picture, most likely now this year, because of the uh, December curse, quote unquote. So no film released in December has won Best Picture since Million Dollar Baby. And I think that's, I think a lot of that has to do with by the time the holiday rolls around, People get so wrapped up in the holiday that they don't have time to go see. I think I think a lot of Academy voters, and I say this as a, a OFCS member who 
deals with voting at the end of the year. I think a lot of people cap themselves November 30th. If I haven't seen it by that point, I'm not going to. See, you know what I equated to, basically? I equated to people like to root for an underdog, right? So I I like to think of it in terms of a film that has been around like for a, a larger portion of the year. Let's say that film came out in, I don't know, let's say August, right? Or September, something like that. Or, th- or that's where it like, had its premiere, let's say, at one of the festivals, Telluride or something. That film will then uh, be loved. Everybody will think it's great. But between then and when the Oscars, uh, the voting happens, all these other films start to come out, right? And you end up in a situation kind of like with uh, like The Revenant and Spotlight, where The Revenant comes out in December. It's this big, big success. It's seen as the guy that's kind of like coming in and crashing the party for something like Spotlight in a way. And Spotlight just looks so small and tiny compared to this huge giant of a movie and voters uh because they've you know majority of the year have like thought about spotlight where the revenant is kind of like a late breaker um they still end up casting their vote for something like spotlight uh we actually had the same thing happen this year with la la land and moonlight you know moonlight has been around for a couple of months people really really loved it La La Land comes around. It's a new flashy, you know, thing that's got everybody all crazy all of a sudden. And once again, we have a split. Now, under the old voting system, you know, where it goes by plural votes and not the preferential ballot, I honestly do believe that The Revenant and La La Land still win Best Picture. So, you know, uh, maybe maybe it's uh, – you know what? I really don't know what to chalk it up to. Maybe it just is the preferential ballot. But I think there is something to be said for your film coming out earlier and having time to resonate more with uh with voters well yeah exactly well i think we're kind of saying the same thing too in a lot of ways that come to december november december when you're trying to juggle five and six movies at a time and everything is over two hours you know it's easier to kind of fall back on stuff that came out in march it's come out on dvd you have it at home you can devote time to actually thinking about it. If you have to see something December 22nd and you have to vote the week after, you know, you're going to be sitting there thinking, okay, did I really like the movie I just saw last week? Or why am I still thinking about this movie that I saw six months ago? People just want, you know, the studios think that if it's at the top of their mind, you know, voters are more likely going to be putting it down, basically. So I, I get it. I understand. Uh, moving the dates back a bit, though, Mary Magdalene is set to open the day after Thanksgiving. I am kind of hoping that crashes and burns. Well, I really like Joaquin Phoenix. I really like Bruni Mara. I, 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 I hope for nothing but the best for both of them. Garth Davis, I'm curious because Lion, while I enjoyed the film, I didn't really um, I didn't really I, I never bought into its Oscar buzz really so much. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if Garth Davis is a one-trick pony. Uh, we'll see if he can pull it off again, essentially, with this project. I, I just think it, it'll be it'll be very funny to see, considering that we gave the Oscar this year to an African-American set, you know, gay drama, and we have a movie about a biblical epic with a bunch of white people in it. That's a good point. I don't know if y'all know this, but Jesus probably wasn't white. <laughs> Oh, no, definitely not. Absolutely not. 
But I'm telling you, Joaquin Phoenix, though, he is a very, very committed actor. He is not going to phone it in. True, but but Rooney Mara, didn't we just have this discussion with her, Peter Pan? Did she learn nothing? Nothing? Mm. Well, maybe it's not her. Maybe it's her Maybe it's her uh, agent that didn't learn uh, anything. So, it's, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then the last date we have here... Um, Wind River of the new Taylor Sheridan film, his directorial debut actually with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. It's set to open on August 4th. So it looks like it's going around the same time frame that Hell or High Water opened up uh, last year. What I'm remembering, didn't that get a rather muted response at the festivals? I remember people saying it was good, but I don't remember a lot of people saying, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, I remember hearing that it was quote-unquote good exactly i don't think it really is going to be an oscar player but stranger things have happened yeah you never know you you just you never really know maybe his script could get nominated again you know maybe that's it who knows i personally am advocating really really hard for jeremy renner to one day win an oscar um I, i think he's a really really great performer but the problem is that He's stuck in this whole Marvel thing right now, and it's just killing his career, in my opinion. I mean, it's making him a lot of money, you know. And actually, what am I saying? Killing his career. It's not killing his career. It's killing his career for me. <laughs> it's not killing his career at all, being in those movies. But, you know, I'd like I'd like to see him return to uh, something more. He's dabbled in practically every franchise that one can dabble in. Yeah. Whether it's Bourne or Mission Impossible or Marvel. <laughs> Next up, he'll be in a Jurassic World film of some oh, sort, right? Oh, God. You know, that actually would make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving over now to our final segment here. We're going to be discussing the trailer for Edgar Wright's newest film. This here is Baby Driver. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B A B Y Baby. It's one who say listen to the music all the time. Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Now, I don't think I need to give you the speech about what happens when you say no, how I could break your legs and kill everyone you love, because you already know that, don't you? Yeah. The moment you catch feelings, the moment you catch a bullet. And your uh, waitress girlfriend, she's cute. Let's keep it that way. I want us to head west and never stop. You in? I'm in, baby. One of these days, baby. You're gonna get blood on your hands. Time to face the music. Baby, we need to get out of here. I have to end this. Are we in bed together now? Baby. Baby? Baby. Duck 
said Michael Myers. This is Mike Myers. It should be the Halloween mask. This is a Halloween mask. No, the killer dude from Halloween. Oh, you mean Jason. No! Baby, you tell me who does. She a good girl? You love her? Yes, I do. That's too bad. So, you, you, you know like when you watch something and the the trailer's not really selling you on it, but at the same time you get this you have this feeling that it's still going to be good regardless. I that's how I felt watching this trailer because visually this film doesn't look interesting to me honestly, other than Edgar Wright's uh, camera angles and hyperkinetic editing that he uses. I just from a cinematography standpoint, I'm not really blown away by this movie here. The cast is very odd. Um, I think it's just very, you know, you have, you have Jamie Foxx popping up here. You got John Hamm over there, Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, and I don't even know who this kid is that's playing uh, uh, Ansel baby. Elgort, my second mortal nemesis. Jesus Christ, what has he been a part of that you're saying this? The Fault in Our Fucking Stars. Oh, I never, I never saw that, so. He okay. was the pretentious douchebag. In that movie and, like, the Divergent movies, and I think that's it. He was up for Han Solo. I have no idea how that worked out um, because he's uh, Evidently poor, poorly because he didn't get the role. <laughs> well, and, you know, the funny thing is is the people, I guess, who saw this out of uh, the festival crowd say that they don't understand how he didn't get it because this movie proves that he's so great and, you know... I hate him so much from the Fault in Our Stars that I just, I can't see how there's, like, literally his presence in this movie is the one thing that's making me like, mm, I don't know if I want to go see this. His lines of dialogue uh, come off a little odd to me in this trailer, for sure. But at the same time, when he is in action mode, like, he's doing the driving, he's got a shot where he's, like, holding a gun, he's, like, doing this whole, like, I'm very serious look, you know? And I guess... Depending on how Edgar Wright presents that, you know, whatever music choices, I hear the music in this movie is going to be very prominent. Uh, whatever music choices they decide to put forward, um, it could really help to sell the effect that this, you know, that this kid actor who you don't really like, I'm not really that impressed by him so far. They're calling um, it an action musical with a lot of people saying it's for like La La Land if you didn't like La La Land. Which I don't understand. Does that mean people are breaking out into song or that the film just has a kick-ass soundtrack? I have no clue. Nobody will tell me. Um, my biggest thing when I saw the trailer and a lot of people said that they had noticed it right away I wrote, I'm all, I love the trailer, even if it's Drive. Like, that was my big takeaway, is I was all, I've seen this movie before, guys. Yeah. We all loved it before when it had Ryan Gosling in it. Um, yep. And that's, that's going to be, I think, Edgar Wright's biggest thing, is getting people to see this as not Drive. Well, I, I actually, I think there's a big crowd out there that saw Drive hated drive and felt cheated by it and this is going to be that movie for them essentially i drive is drive is my favorite movie of 2011 um, yes so mine I too am, i am excited i'm i'm ready anything that can compare if, if it's as hyper violent as drive was like that's what that's what i'd be interested to see um or if it's just going to be more 
of Edgar Wright's kind of slick, quick, uh, witty stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I do not like The World's End. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued. All righty. Well, we will see for sure. I, I, I definitely would like to see Edgar Wright do something along the lines of a um, like a slasher gore fest type of film. Well, he did do sort. the he did do the don't trailer for Grindhouse. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of counts. No, it, it really doesn't. But I mean, <laughs> like I just saw the Belko experiment this weekend. My apologies. It wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. It, it it was one of those movies where it's like if I had a bunch of friends over and I just wanted to put something on that, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a, a ripoff of trying to do, uh, you know, Asian uh, cinema, like gore, gore fest kind of a film, you know, like a battle royal or something like that. You know what I mean? So it, it's definitely an, an, an imitator. It's not nothing unique or original, but I mean, heck, I, I still had a lot of fun with it. But I'd love to see Edgar Wright do something like that. I'd like to just see him just go completely nuts. You know what I mean? And do something that would make Quentin Tarantino, like... <laughs> I keep referencing Chris, Quentin Tarantino in this podcast, I've noticed. I'd like to just see uh, Edgar Wright create something that's going to make Quentin Tarantino's eyes, like, fall out of their sockets, essentially. But who knows? I think he's got it in him. I think I think he'll be able to do it one day. So uh, that'll just about do it here on episode 30 of the Next Best Picture podcast uh i I am gonna ask you guys for this week i'm gonna make this a little bit simpler if you want to leave us a review on itunes okay leave us a review tell us what you think of the podcast i will give you a digital hd giveaway but in order to do that i need to contact you so in the review if you could leave for me your twitter handle i will message you if you have won because the winner will be selected at random. So drop us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast, how we're doing. I would really, really appreciate it. Kristen would really appreciate it. The hell, the whole team would really, really appreciate it. Kristen, where can they find you on Twitter? I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And I am at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can listen to us and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Thank you everyone so much for listening and we will see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is death of a film star starring heath ledger marilyn monroe chadwick boseman robin williams carrie fisher and bruce lee Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.